Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. So um, you want to hear something crazy? How about like five or six or seven crazy things. Well, that's the month of September in uh, the gaming industry for you. It is insane. And uh, we're going to go over everything that happened, uh, which is going to be a wild ride. I'm Patrick Beja, and this is Pixels. And we cover the news from the gaming industry, try to give you a little bit of analysis so you understand exactly why things are a big deal. Uh, although I suspect for this episode, it's going to be relatively straightforward for most of them. There are a few uh, tit tidbits, uh, bits and pieces that might be uh, a little bit more hidden. But overall, oh my God, that month of September. I'm So you would think that the month where Sony reveals the pricing details of the PlayStation 5 would be, uh, <clears throat> that would be the biggest uh, news. It is not by far. And uh, between, okay, let's just give you a quick overview and then we'll dive in. First of all, obviously, Microsoft buying ZeniMax Media, which is Bethesda Softworks, it's a gigantic developer and publisher that includes a number of studios, including Bethesda Softworks, for $7.5 billion um, in cash, by the way. They just bought them out outright. Um, this is huge. We're going to dive into it. Series S details, the smaller version of the uh, next generation of Xboxes, really big news. Sony, obviously, a huge amount of uh, information there. And just recently, a few days ago, uh, Luna was announced. That's Amazon's cloud gaming service. A lot of really interesting things there that impact uh, other gaming services, uh, cloud gaming services, of course, but also the gaming industry as a whole. Uh, NVIDIA announced the mind-blowing RTX 3000 series, which is such a big deal for PC gamers and brings a whole host of changes for the gaming industry as a whole again. And then things that would be interesting uh, news uh, by themselves, uh, you know, uh, uh, but in this context, they're kind of afterthoughts. A Nintendo Direct with Mario Celebration, Oculus Connect with Oculus 2 Quest 2 announced, and then... Mike Moheim announcing that he has founded a new gaming publisher, developer, uh, at least developer with a couple of studios uh, from Blizzard uh, alumni. And all of this, each of those would be, could be a full episode, but I'm going to do my best to summarize everything and, and give you everything you need to know um, in, you know, this one episode of Pixels. So let's get started with the incredible purchase of ZeniMax Media by Microsoft. So 
we know that Microsoft has been acquiring studios to beef up their offering of uh, Game Pass, which is a subscription service, which includes PC games and uh, Xbox games. And uh, those have been really compelling already. But I would say, and I think most people agree, that they lacked giant AAA games. They had... Halo and Gears of War, which is their big franchises. Maybe you could even include uh, Forza, the Forza titles in the racing uh, genres. But I, I know this is blasphemy for some, but Halo isn't that huge a deal. Maybe some of you will have a distorted view of it because it's really big in the US and obviously that's a big market. But in Japan, it means nothing. And in Europe, it's, you know, of course, there are fans, but it's not a huge deal. It's a, it's a big deal, but it's not the kind of AAA title that drives an entire service. So Game Pass had been seen as this incredible value for a lot of AA offerings, which are still very interesting. I, I've said a few times that many of many games... I call them, <laughs> that's a, a little bit of a, you know, I don't know how to put it. I call them passable games, which is a play on the term. They're not average. They're just games that would not be interesting to you if you had to purchase them. But if they're included in the Xbox Game Pass, then they're awesome. And they are definitely something you want to check out. So that's why, you know, Game Pass, passable, it's just a silly way of, of labeling them. Um, but so those games are games that pad the service. There are also AA games, some AAA games from third parties. Um, and a lot of studios they bought were not giant blockbuster studios until now. Well, uh, this changes everything for Game Pass because Bethesda is one of the studios from ZeniMax Media, and they already bring with them uh, really big franchises. Of course, The Elder Scrolls, Skyrim, you know that name, uh, Fallout, which has been having trouble in the past few <laughs> months, but is still a really big franchise. But also, they have the id software properties, which are Doom, Quake, uh, Wolfenstein, which has been developed and revived by Machine Works, another studio they get in all of this, uh, and a number of other studios. You know, Arcane is one. There are a few others. Essentially, now Microsoft has 23 studios, if you include the publishing arm. But those are a lot of studios, of course. And they are huge hitters. The, these games, what we're talking about now with Bethesda especially, but also its software, are huge games. And the other studios that are a little bit smaller are games that are probably going to benefit from not having to sell a huge amount on their own. Arcane, uh, which, made, which made Dishonored, is a studio, and I believe they made Prey 2 as well, um, or Prey 2018, whatever the name was, um, they, they are probably going to benefit from not having to sell 10 million copies of each game they make. Uh, they just become games that are uh, additional offerings for Game Pass. And so they're, they're probably going to be a little bit more comfortable. We'll see how it goes, but uh, how Phil Spencer and Xbox is going to manage those studios. But 
yeah, it's going to be a lot of games that are added monthly to, to the Game Pass from Xbox Game Studios, I'm guessing, at least every couple of months. And those games will not, will not have to be huge hitters. Um, so this is really a big deal. $7.5 billion. As many have noticed, the entirety of Sony's uh, PlayStation benefits not benefits what's the term in english um income not income the the profits there you go that's the term uh, for the past uh, six or seven years was like eight billion so <laughs> sony could not even entertain the idea of buying such a make it such such a huge buy um so it brings back the idea that microsoft is going to be making giant blockbuster AAA games. Um, the really interesting aspect is, are they going to be exclusive? The initial idea, well, first of all, there are a couple of games that are going to be coming out on PlayStation 5, which Sony purchased uh, at least timed exclusivity for uh, from uh, studios that are included in ZeniMax. Uh, there's Deathloop, and which is the other one? Deathloop is an arcane game and uh oh god i'm forgetting there there is another one that is also going to be an exclusive for uh playstation 5 and of course obviously microsoft has confirmed they will honor those deals which as they should um they <laughs> there will be uh, it wouldn't be surprising if there is an xbox game studios logo at the beginning of those games uh and they are exclusive for the playstation 5 which is going to be really interesting um so that's going to happen. But beyond that, what is the status of exclusives? And I think there are two competing ideas that both make complete sense. And we, we don't know what's going to happen. Microsoft themselves have said, we will review each game on a case-by-case -case basis and decide if they are going to be on this or that platform, if they're going to be exclusive to the Xbox Game Pass, which means Xbox and PC. Um, and in the past, they have left some franchises alone, uh, most notably Minecraft and Minecraft Dungeons, which is also available on different platforms. Uh, Ori and the Blind Forest and Of the Will of the Wisps is available on the Switch. It makes sense. It's a Microsoft property, uh, but they still put them on other platforms. Um, one trend of thought, one thinking, is that you don't pay $7.5 billion to put your game on other people's platforms. And I think that makes complete sense. I think it would uh, absolutely be logical for Microsoft to say, all right, you know what? Starfield, the next Bethesda epic RPG in space, we will keep that in a, on our service and you will have to come to us if you want to play that game. Complete sense. Same with the next Elder Scrolls, you know, Skyrim... 2 or Elder Scrolls 6, whatever it ends up being called, uh, that they could absolutely say, this is a game that stays with us. Um, because you want people to subscribe to Game Pass. And that's how you're going to make your money. You they currently have, uh, like, they had 10 million subscribers six months ago. They now have 15 million. That is a huge increase, obviously. Um, you know, 50% increase in six months. Um, it doesn't make sense in some way that they would not take every possible advantage 
to increase that number further and reach, you know, 50, 100 million, why not? 100 million people paying for Game Pass. It's a lot, but it could happen. Um, on the other hand, if they put out a game on the PlayStation 5 and that game costs 80 euros or in the US $70, um, that is a really big incentive to get Game Pass. <laughs> because you think, you know, I could get that game for $70 or get Game Pass for six months or more and also get that game and get all of the other games at the same time. So it's like, well, you know what? If you want to pay 80 euros and, and play that game, go ahead. We will take your money. But if you want to pay for Game Pass, uh, it's got to be cheaper for you. Well, you don't pay the, keep the game after you've, you've um, ended your subscription, but yeah, you also get access to like 200 additional games, some of which are gigantic things which you also want to play. So that is a very possible scenario. Another, you know, there is a middle ground where they have three months exclusivity or six months or whatever on Game Pass, and then they put out the game on the other platform. That's also a possibility. Um, but to be honest, I don't know anymore. Um, my instinct was it has to be exclusives, but I wonder if that's not old world thinking. You know, they don't care. that Their platform is Game Pass, and having some games on another platform for more than it would be, you know, quote unquote, it's a different way of, of looking at the, the expense, but for more than it would be on their platform, it might be a win for them. So that's a really, it's going to be fascinating to see how this is going to work out. Uh, I will say, however, we'll get to Sony in a little bit, but I really think that it pushes Sony to... Like, Game Pass becomes unavoidable. It, it's like, is that what Thanos says in Endgame? I am inevitable. Game Pass becomes inevitable. Now, of course, it doesn't work out for Thanos. But, okay, bad analogy. <laughs> but um, it becomes inevitable. And I wonder how, like, does... Let's keep going with that analogy. And if you haven't seen Endgame, uh, sorry, spoilers, but... Does Sony have to put on the Infinity Gauntlet and counter Thanos in that way? And does it make it, it you know, does it, does it buckle under the pressure and crack and it can't handle that kind of pressure? I don't know. But I think that the inevitability of Game Pass might push Sony to... Uh, do other things. We'll we'll get back to Sony in a minute, but I think it pushes them uh, potentially down the line. Maybe not immediately, but down the line, um, and we'll see what happens there. But all right, the play for uh, Zenimax Media is huge. Uh, Two thousand three hundred people, which Microsoft is saying will leave them as they are for now. Who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of years? There have been so many examples of companies being purchased. And then, you know, after a couple of years, things move around. Once the uh, exclusivity, the, the, the contract clauses run out after a couple of years, people leave, companies change. Although, if I'm being honest, I'm not sure uh, 
ZeniMax was a better steward of Bethesda and the other studios than Microsoft would be. Xbox certainly seems that like it has a, a love of games that uh, is genuine. And Phil Spencer seems like he, of course, he's a true business person, but uh, he, he seems like he cares about the games uh, as much as anyone else. Uh, something that we see, I think, in, in many companies, but I don't know if ZeniMax was of that caliber. Um, so... And of course, it's really funny to see Microsoft being the underdog and being like, oh, we love everyone. We want everyone to have games and to play on all the consoles are cool, which is something that is is easier to do when you're the challenger and to kind of reach out and, and send out your hand to uh, get people into to talk about you. I don't know if that's not going to change maybe down the line. Although, again... Their platform is Game Pass and it's everywhere. I say everywhere, I'm going to move on, I promise. But Game Pass is fascinating. I say everywhere because uh, the streaming makes it really ubiquitous. Of course, it's PCs and consoles, but once the streaming is on the uh, PC as well and the console, I really hope they do it through the browser on the PC and Mac and not with a dedicated app and the Xbox app. We'll see what happens there, but uh, it might even come to iPhone in spite of what we've been uh, witnessing in the past few weeks. And we'll get to that again with another huge piece of news uh, later in the show. So yeah, it, it will be everywhere. So pff, Microsoft, uh, yeah, is, is making big moves. All right. Let's move on with more Microsoft news. Um, I'll get back to Game Pass because we're not done with Game Pass. But first, I do want to talk about the Series X, which um, was announced finally. Oh, sorry. Did I say X? I meant S. Was announced finally as the smaller version of the Xbox. Um, Series X is coming out November 10, of course, for 500 bucks. Series S is coming out on the same day for 300 bucks. Notably, Series S is targeting a different set of specs. Um, they, it, first of all, it doesn't have a, a, a disc reader. So you have to do everything digitally, which might help you know, Microsoft lower the cost and offset that with the digital purchase that has to go that have to go through them, uh, obviously. But um, if you want to summarize it, Series X, is targeting high-performance 4K display. Series S is targeting 1440p, which is, you know, between HD and 4K. And I think 4040p doesn't really matter. Um, the important thing is that it performs at 1080p, which is what a lot of people own as TVs, you know? It's going to be HD TVs. Uh, not everyone has a 4K TV. And if it's targeting 1440p, I think it will perform at 1080p really well. It's targeting that at 60 FPS. Sometimes some games might reach 120 FPS if your TV does that. Not many do. But aside from that, and of course the disc reader, aside from that, it does on paper everything the Series X does, which is huge, huge. It is a next-gen console for 1080p for 300 bucks. That's crazy, given the power of those consoles um, and the, the fact that the 
real price, quote unquote, we'll see with Sony, it's not quite the case, but the real price is 500 bucks. So 300 bucks with Game Pass is a crazy deal. And you can get the Xbox All Access, which is a monthly subscription to get Game Pass Ultimate, by the way, and the console. And for the Series X, S, I believe it is uh, 25 bucks. So you get everything you need. Of course, you won't get all the games. You can still, still buy them piecemeal on top of that, but you will get all the games from Game Pass, which is, again, a crazy good deal. It's going to get better in just a second when I get to the second part of this uh, announcement. But I think the if you get, well, you do get the SSD, you do get the ray tracing, in the Series S. There might be a little bit less graphical fidelity. Maybe they're going to have to push things uh, lower with the Series S. But the key part is that you get ray tracing. And that's really the key differentiator in the next generation. Of course, with the SSD and the faster load times um, that this brings, which you get as well. So the if you get the everything that the X does, maybe a little bit not as perfect but if you get the ray tracing and it costs 300 bucks it is a crazy good deal again of course we're going to have to wait and see when uh, people get them in their hands and actually can do some testing uh, digital foundry will be the first channel everyone rushes to to get the exact the real uh, uh, testing for that uh, it seems they're pushing the series x to testers initially, which is not surprising. It you know it's a, a fair game, um, but we'll really have to wait and see what the Series S does, and hopefully it does almost as good as the X, and that will mean you know you get the same thing for 1080p, maybe a little bit less graphical fidelity, but still a very decent thing. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, but that is honestly a phenomenal, phenomenal deal. Uh, if it works as advertised, which we have little reason to doubt. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there. And both available November 10. I hope you got your pre-order in. It, it apparently was not easy, but currently they're still available, at least in Europe. You can easily pre-order a Series X or a Series S. I do want to mention, though, as many have been saying, Sony is going to be selling more consoles. That is a given, especially in Europe. You know, again, Japan, Microsoft does not exist. They're, they're making really good deals, really good prices for the Japanese market. And, and it, they might start turning things around, which, by the way, something I didn't mention, uh, they're, they're not done buying studios. And there are a lot of rumors about the purchase of a Japanese studio, which would uh, make them more appealing in Europe and you know, more appealing in Japan, of course. Uh, rumors have been floating around about Sega. I don't quite believe... I think Sega has, has a relatively weak uh, portfolio of IPs. Everyone is going to talk about so Sonic and Virtua Fighter and, uh, well, Yakuza, Like a Dragon. is, But all of those are, like, nostalgic niche titles. I think it would be... It would make more sense to buy a studio that has more... Uh, larger IPs, which would be more expensive, but as we've seen, um, they don't mind paying, you know, pulling out the wallet. So we'll see. I think Capcom was a candidate for a while, and then Monster Hunter World 
sold gangbusters and Capcom became more expensive. <laughs> that's the current um, storyline that's going around. Namco, Square, all of those would be candidates. Konami, the Konami IPs, uh, all of those would be candidates. There are intricacies there, and and they some of them make uh, pachinko and other types of uh, devices, but it it could happen. I can absolutely see them buying a Japanese uh, developer. Platinum or Atlas would be other candidates. Uh, Platinum would be a very cred-inducing uh, one, but... Uh, We'll see. And the the thing I was getting at is on top of everything I've been talking about about the Game Pass, you also get EA Play at no extra cost starting very soon. Uh, EA Play is not all of the EA games. It's the back catalog. But that's a lot of games, a lot of really good games, and especially in the US, a lot of sports games. Um, you also get, by the way, uh, 10 hours trial periods on the latest games, which... Not all the latest games, but most of the biggest releases, which is, you know, really good to, to get. And uh, you can try out the game to see if you want it or not, if you, if you want to play it. This is getting, <laughs> I was saying, unavoidable, inevitable earlier. Yeah, like you get EA Play at no extra cost. Oh, by the way, that is in the Game Pass Ultimate. Um, and the PC version of Game Pass, but not the console version of Game Pass. It's a little bit complicated, but, you know, given the deal, I think it's <laughs> people uh, can take a couple of seconds and investigate what this actually means. Um, crazy, crazy good deal. I'm not going to spend too much time on the, that EA thing, but it would be an entire episode also by itself. Uh, but uh, EA has two different subscription services one is basic five bucks a month and you get access that's what you get access to uh, included in game pass ultimate one is more expensive and you get access to all of their subscriptions uh all of their games including the re latest releases you don't get access to that in game pass but still you know it's a it's a big thing all right playstation 5 uh so many announcements i'm gonna start with the games uh, Final Fantasy 16 exclusive, that is a big deal for many people. Like, Sony is going... I've heard that, that analogy. I think it's really good. Microsoft wants to be Netflix. Sony wants to be HBO. Maybe you don't have as much content, but you get those highbrow, like, critically acclaimed and uh, public lo beloved titles maybe two a year and with you know an additional couple that are hanging out in there and still pretty cool in that year and sony wants you to buy at least those two huge ones and maybe an additional two or one uh, out of their studios and or you know the exclusives they strike with other uh, third-party publishers are also part of that appeal and that is you know difficult to turn down um, especially when they get exclusives like Final Fantasy 16, um, it is a big 
a big deal. And they had Spider-Man Miles Morales, which is essentially a ray tracing demo, uh, really incredible set piece uh, gameplay sequence coming out uh, during the holiday. I believe it's on launch day, which is, by the way, the 12th of November in the US, 19th of November um, in other countries. Oh, I say the US, I mean Americas, essentially. Um, Canada, the US, and I believe Mexico, and uh, Japan as well, and then 19th in Europe and everywhere else. Could, I, I could get a pre-order, but uh, it's in high demand, and apparently they took pre-orders at the store I, I got it from, but they don't know that they're going to have enough to honor all of the pre-orders. Got it pretty fast, so hopefully I will get mine, but not guaranteed. Um, and... Yeah, okay, let's keep going on the games. Uh, and I will get to the fact that it, the, the Spider-Man is not a PS5 exclusive, but we also get Hogwarts Legacy, um, Demon Souls Remastered. The games, not a huge amount of games, but there was the um, God of War Ragnarok announcement at the end, which is hyping up people who are fans of these franchises. And... <clears throat> You might remember that I am often very critical of the idea that you would just announce a game with a title and nothing else, because I think that is, you know, uh, uh, artificial uh, fan people excitement. That And if you don't commit to anything, you don't show gameplay, it's dishonest. Not dishonest, but it's like cheap. Uh, just like when Bethesda announced Starfield without showing anything and without giving a date and, and Elder Scrolls 6 with just a target render of a, a something that has nothing to do with the game. I think here, obviously, I would have preferred to see a little bit more uh, uh, images, some gameplay or at least a, a CG trailer. But I think they're going to keep that in their back pocket because the game is slated for 2021. And that's what, to me, makes the, the announcement different. They gave a date. They committed to a date. They might push it, of course, but at least they gave a date, and it's not that far off. Um, <clears throat> it's very likely that Horizon Forbidden West is going to be their uh, uh, spring-summer game for 2021, and God of War will be the winter game for 2021, which, if they manage to stick to those dates. They haven't announced specific dates, but both are slated for 2021, and they like to have one big game in the in the summer, one big game in the winter. If they manage to get to those, it would be a really big deal. Um, I, I really believe so. So these were the big announcements. Um, they Okay, let's get to the PS4 compatibility. Uh, the, the big surprise <laughs> that came afterwards with a little bit of... Uh, messing up a communication was Miles Morales, Forbid Horizon Forbidden West, um, are going to be coming to the PS4. And Miles Morales is a release game for PS5, so you might think, ah, okay, well, it's a, it's, it's a little bit like a betrayal of what they were saying about believing in generations. But Horizon Forbidden West is coming out in six months minimum, and that's still going to be coming to the PS4, what the H, Sony? Um, and I think, so I understand this feeling. I think there is definitely some validity to it. Uh, usually when you buy a new console, what you want and what they say they've been aiming towards is big new things that you can only get on that 
console. So it is a little bit frustrating that you're going <laughs> to... I understand the frustration of having those games on the previous console as well. Uh, if you're, what you're looking forward to is the big shiny thing on the new console. And that's something that we discussed a lot about Microsoft. Uh, you know, the Xbox not having the Series SX, not having exclusives, quote unquote, for the first couple of years, as Microsoft said, is a little bit of a, oh, well, well, why am I buying one then? Um, and of course, the answer is you're buying one because you want the sexy ray tracing and the reduced load times, which this is what happens with the PlayStation 5 now. For many of the games, um, that's what you're going to get the PlayStation 5, not for an experience that you couldn't get on the PlayStation 4, because well, obviously you're going to get many of those experiences on PlayStation 4, albeit without all of the shiny ray tracing. So this is obviously something that is a little bit unexpected, but you know, if you look at the numbers, there are like 100, 110 million PS4s in the wild. It doesn't make sense anymore to not release those big games on those consoles as well because you know you like money and you want to make money so that makes sense um, there will be ratchet and clank coming to uh, the playstation 5 exclusively towards the end of the year and that's interesting because when we were seeing the showcases back in the summer i don't know if you remember but i was thinking you know none of this really looks like it takes advantage of the ps5 maybe horizons uh horizon forbidden west because it looks really pretty but the key feature of the ps5 is the ultra ultra fast ssd which can essentially load all of the assets within a couple of seconds which means it impacts gameplay Right? It's not just that the load screens are slower, uh, or sorry, uh, are shorter, but still there. You actually can do something different with the gameplay because of that hardware feature. And Ratchet and Clank was the only game that took advantage of that. And it was notice noticeable, I think. Um, and now we know why, <laughs> right? Clearly. Um, but so, two things I want to say about this. First of all, the uh, ray tracing in Spider-Man Miles Morales was the first time I was impressed by that tech on a next-gen console. I had never seen anything in the previous games that made me think, okay, that's the version I want to play. So I, I think, for me, I'm a, you know, hardcore gamer, I'm going to be happy I have the next-gen console because I want to play the thing that looks like that. Um, and that's the first time I saw that with Spider-Man which is something that is going to be coming out like in a couple of months. So I will get that. I don't think I remember seeing anything on the Xbox side that made me feel that way. Um, and to be honest, there wasn't much else on the PlayStation side that made me feel that way either. Um, Call of Duty uh, Black Ops Cold War is really pretty, really pretty. And by the way, that gameplay demo they showed at that PlayStation 5 showcase was mind-blowing. It was it was such an action set piece uh, in the best sense of the word. Super violent, but like really cool. Um, but yeah, so th those are things that, uh, to me, I think justify the purchase of a next-gen console. Um, but of course, if you don't want to buy one, most of those experiences are going to be available on your Xbox uh, One or on your PlayStation 4, and you don't need to buy a next-gen console. 
However, and that's the point I was going to get to, uh, which sorry for making it so long. PlayStation 5, at least on paper, does have unique hardware features, which down the line will mean some experiences will be unique to that console. Some games, some game design will, or at least, you know, could be unique to that console. I think a lot of people have seen um, those games coming to PlayStation 4 and have started saying, oh, well, Sony has been lying about believing in generations. That is incredibly not even short-sighted, it's a complete misreading of the situation. There are still those unique features in the console that everyone's going to buy. And, of course, it's going to take a little bit of time for developers to uh, get them mastered. And, of course, most of the games are going to be cross-platform, so they won't be able to uh, use them in such unique ways that it's going to impact the game design. But some will. And the super ultra, ultra fast SSD and maybe the, you know, um, uh, spatial audio, if that ends up working out and the, the, the tension in the controller, uh, the haptic feedback might be interesting, but mainly the super fast SSD that is in there. And that is a generational shift. Now, whether or not it's going to end up being successful and being interestingly used in games that is completely unknown. But it is still something that is a key difference that uh, some other you know, devices don't have. Like notably, the Series X and S are just more powerful versions of what already exists. Faster SSD and ray tracing mainly, but not a generational leap in that performance. The, the SSD of the PlayStation 5 does have this characteristic that puts it in a different league. And we'll see. Maybe it's going to end up not being used at all. Maybe it's going to end up being a uh, bet that is ill-advised for Sony. And maybe it's not going to change anything. It's entirely possible. But saying that Sony does not believe in generations and they, you know, lied or they tricked us because those games are coming to PlayStation 4 as well is you know, silly. It is a misreading of this whole strategy. So anyway, uh, PlayStation Plus collection is really interesting as well. Uh, this is a collection of PlayStation 4 titles. Please follow along because this is not an easy one. PlayStation 4 titles that are available to PlayStation Plus subscribers on the PlayStation 5 only. Right, So you don't have to pay more than you already do for your PlayStation Plus, which has you know online play and the PlayStation Plus games every month and stuff like that. You don't have to pay more for that. And you get key titles from the PlayStation 4 era. Um, only on PlayStation 5, not on PlayStation 4. Those titles are God of War, Final Fantasy XV, Uncharted 4, Monster Hunter World, Until Dawn, Days Gone... Detroit Become Human, Battlefield 1, Infamous Second Son, Batman, Arkham Knight, The Last Guardian, Last of Us Remastered, Persona 5, Resident Evil 7, Bloodborne, and Mortal Kombat 10. A really cool collection of games. Um, if you're listening to this, you might already have many of them, but not all, I'm guessing. And uh, this is going to be a an instant library kind of thing. You already have a number of 
PlayStation 4 games that are available. Um, oh, by the way, all 99% of PlayStation 4 games are compatible, backwards compatible with the PlayStation 5, or PlayStation 5 is backwards compatible with 99% of the PlayStation 4 games. So that is hopefully settled, at least that's the claim. Um, so you get a number of cool games with your PlayStation 5 the moment you buy it, if you're subscribed to PlayStation Plus. That's pretty cool. It is not an answer to Game Pass though, or like it's a it's a 1% of an answer. It's just, we give you a few cool games. Um, that being said, of course, PlayStation does have PlayStation Now, and if things become really difficult uh, in the competition with Game Pass, they can very easily decide, well, PlayStation Now is going to include the latest releases from now on. And PlayStation Now lets you stream games, but also install them on your machine. Um, they have said, I believe Jim Ryan did say specifically, this is not the game they're playing. They don't want to have the latest releases in there. Um, this is something that can change, right? As Microsoft buys more and more studios, and if they realized, we would love to sell you, you know, what is it now, $140 or $200 worth of games um, every year instead of getting $120 worth of subscription. We want to sell you double that in games. Obviously, they would want that, but we'll see if this is still possible down the line. Um, so, yeah, the, the PlayStation Plus collection is a really cool service, but not a not a viable competition to Game Pass. So, yeah. And uh, finally, the PlayStation 5 is, as I hinted at, 500 bucks. And the digital edition, which doesn't have a disc, is 400 bucks, or 499 and 399 Of course, the difference between the PlayStation 5 digital edition and the Xbox Series S is that the PlayStation 5 digital edition is the exact same device as the PlayStation 5, but without the disc reader. That's it. Everything else is the exact same. So it's a different price. It allows Sony to um, tell you, well, PlayStation 5 starts at, at $399, um, which is you know absolutely true because it does exactly the same thing as its bigger uh, <laughs> uh, sister brother, but um, it's not exactly the same for the cheaper Series S. So it's a little bit of a more difficult uh, pricing scheme to navigate when you put all of these together. But uh, I think both actually work pretty well. There's one thing that should be noted, though, and that is the case for um, for that is the case for both consoles. If you buy physical games, which is still going to be a thing for a few years to come, they're usually cheaper, at least in Europe, cheaper than the digital counterparts. And I'm not going to get into why now, but they are. And if you save, let's say, 10 bucks or 20 bucks, let's say you buy them cheaper and then you sell them back when you're done with them, uh, you save, on average, 20 bucks per game. Um, compared to the digital version. I think it could be more because you can buy them cheaper and then sell them uh, a month later and it could be more than 20 bucks per game. But let's say it's 20. Uh, on the PlayStation side, five games uh, mean you, uh, uh, 
get your investment back into a disc version of the console, right? Just five games and you've made a hundred bucks. So that's, and even on this Microsoft side, 10 games and that's 200 bucks. So 10 games mean you not only get the disc version, but also the more powerful version of the console. So that's something to keep in mind if you're looking, if you if you have the cash now and you can invest a little bit more into the, the, the more powerful or the disc version of the console, but whether you're uh, looking at the PlayStation or a, an Xbox, it might be worth thinking about this before um, pulling the trigger on the cheaper version. So just something to keep in mind. All right, um, there would be so much more to say about Sony and uh, Dark Souls, which, Demon Souls, sorry, which look really cool and the availability of the different versions and the pre-orders, which were <laughs> completely ridiculous and a bunch of things. Uh, but we're going to move on to the third biggest thing in uh, history of September's. Uh, Amazon announced Luna, a game streaming service, a cloud gaming service, which we had heard they were working on it, but we had no idea they were going to announce it. And they announced it in the middle of a gigantic announcement of a million hardware pieces. And uh, that was the one that was like, oh my God, what is happening? <laughs> um, essentially, this is what Stadia should have been. It is amazing. Well, it's early access and only in the US and they're promising a lot of things and we don't know if they're going to pan out. But if they do, it, it's, it's everything a cloud service should be. Um, it, it is available. It's essentially seven bucks in early access. I guess it might be more expensive down the line, maybe 10 bucks, but you get access to, um, a, a library of games. Thank you. A library of games, which is not bad. I'm not going to go over the games you get, but in early access, it's already, you know, decent. Um, they are partnering with Ubisoft and you're going to have different channels. So that might give, uh, that might scare some people because it's kind of like a different package for uh, cable subscriptions. But you have a standard channel and the Ubisoft channel, which is not available yet, but you will get access to essentially all the Ubisoft games in that different channel, which you have to pay for specifically. And that's an extra charge from the, the regular channel. So essentially they're kind of white boxing, uh, white labeling their uh, service. And you can, any developer, I'm guessing, can use it to make their games available. Uh, one quick note about that analogy with cable subscriptions. It is nothing like it. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, you know, you have so many subscriptions, now you have to do... No, subscriptions on cable were bundles that you could not get out of and that you were stuck with for at least a year. That is what made it really ridiculous for cable subscriptions, what made it really annoying. This is entirely different. You can buy them piecemeal, you can choose what you want, and you can stop at any point. At least that's what we're seeing now with all of those services. So that is, like, it is nothing alike. If you get that, it kind of looks alike from afar, so I understand why people go like, oh, it's annoying because you... No, it's not. Sure, you have to subscribe to many different things to get all the things you want, but... You know, it would be great if you had one subscription for 10 bucks that gave you all the music, TV, movies, games that you could get in the world. Sure. Okay. Yes. If that's what you want, 
the current situation is not it. But it is absolutely not the cable bundles at all. So fight that urge to feel like it's the same. You can decide what you want, you can stop anytime, and the value offered for all of those things is really compelling. So, and if it's not, you don't have to get it, you know? You don't have, it is not forced on you by a, a bundle, by the one service provider you have in your area and you don't have a choice. So yeah, okay, I think I've made my point. Um, two things that are really interesting about, well, three things that are really interesting about Luna. Uh, it is a Windows-based system. They are having a deal with Microsoft to pay for the Windows license, which apparently uh, Stadia didn't want to do, Google didn't want to do. And that changes everything because it means developers have a very easy time, potentially, porting their games to the service, which is not the case with Stadia. Stadia is a proprietary, proprietary uh, Linux-based, I believe, system, which developers have to work hard to port their games to, which is why not many games are on Stadia, which is a real problem, in, you know, on top of the fact that you have to pay every game um, individually on Stadia. Sure, there's the Stadia Pro thing, but it's not very compelling, honestly. I've been a subscriber for two times at different times. It's not compelling. Uh, the, technically, the service works great. It's just the commercial offering that is problematic. And Luna fixes that. And since it's a Windows-based uh, system, it is you're going to see many, many games. Because why not? Amazon is a big player. Um, you're getting a, a different ways of getting your games to, to people. I think many developers are going to be porting their games there, and we're going to see it uh, take off a lot faster than Stadia. This is a, a, an additional egg on the face of Google with Stadia, if there weren't enough already. So the first thing is Windows-based. The second thing is, uh, I forgot, oh, right. They use a web app to be available on iOS devices. This is really big because, of course, Apple has been, has been fighting streaming services. Um, and we weren't quite sure whether or not it could be done via a web app. Well, a web app is what Luna is using. And according to the journalists that have tested it, it works really well. So that is a big deal. That means that opens the door, actually, for a Game Pass and for Stadia as well. Um, which is, again, a huge deal because it means those services will be coming, I'm certain, to iOS as well. It might not be as practical as uh, an app, maybe, we'll see, but uh, they will be coming. So there will be a way to play all of those services on iOS. And, uh, you know, Apple didn't say this too loudly in that discussion about cloud gaming services, but they have been supporting two ecosystems uh, for a very long time. And they've said it in the past, you know, they support the closed app ecosystem and the open web ecosystem. Now, of course, uh, streaming services can function as a web app because they're relatively lightweight. All of the computing is done on in the cloud, which is the base uh, principle of the thing. Uh, it wouldn't work for a game like Fortnite, right? You can't really make a web app out of Fortnite. Of course, you can make a streaming service Fortnite, which would be, make it available again without any kind of paying restric restriction on uh, iOS. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. That's a different conversation. So web app means available on iOS for Luna. 
Uh, last thing, which is really interesting, the subscription for Luna is labeled as, so it's seven bucks, six bucks, and it's labeled unlimited playtime, which is key. If there is a unlimited playtime option for the subscription service, it stands to reason that there would be a limited playtime with other options. And of course, Amazon being Amazon, you would think there might be a free tier where you get a couple of hours a week, a couple of hours of playtime for free with nothing to install, nothing to pay for, not a box, not a subscription service, just use your Amazon login and you can play for a couple of hours a week to any of the games they have. Insane. I'm not saying this is what's going to, well, actually, this is my prediction that this is what is going to happen. But again, the promise of Stadia, which was so not delivered. I'm not even talking about the YouTube connection and the Twitch connection that Luna is promising with, you know, Amazon's is promising with Luna. That is also part an interesting part of it. Uh, but available for free, that is something that is really going to push those things. And you limit the access with the two hours so you don't, you know, your servers don't explode. Um, although, you know, Stadia, and I've been applauding this with both hands, is going to make a demo of uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising, that uh, Ubisoft games game, which was previously known as Gods and Monsters. Um, it's going to be available for free for everyone uh, for St on Stadia. The demo is going to be available. That's a really, that is what they should be doing. You know, giving a little bit of a taste of the service to everyone. Anyway, I don't understand what the hell Stadia is doing. Amazon could be doing it that way. And, of course, this is where I wanted to say Amazon being Amazon. If you have a Prime subscription, guess what? You get four hours a week or one hour a day, you know, seven hours a week for free as well. Why not? They already do that with parts of the music service. They give you Amazon Prime Video. They give you, oh, you know, of course, of course this is going to happen because it's Amazon and they are taking over everyone's life. Um, so Luna, insanely cool service that is announced. I hope that by the end of the year, they will be launching, you know, early next year, everywhere else and in full uh, you know, as a full service. And I'm really interested to see, interested to see, especially what they do with that uh, unlimited game time label. And if they offer free game time, uh, limited game time for free. Um, I, I don't see that not happening. I don't understand how it would not happen. This is such a compelling offer. So yeah, Amazon is entering the fray. And if you think the pressure of subscription services was big in the gaming world with just Game Pass, it, now it's twice as big because, of course, Amazon is going to be... They are developing their own games. I don't, I don't even care about Amazon games. The, now the interesting thing is what they're doing with third-party games um, and the subscription part. So, yeah. All right. Let's move on to the 15th big thing. <laughs> the... NVIDIA RTX 3000 series. I'm going to be a little bit more brief on this. Essentially, they are an incredible deal uh, compared to the, the power that they provide. Um, they are expensive. 
they're they start at like 500 bucks for the rtx 3070 and they go all the way up to 1500 bucks for the what is essentially a pro card uh, in a consumer package there's one in the middle for 700 bucks the rtx 3080 and there are going to be other uh models that are going to be announced down the line um probably rtx 3060 and 3050 which are, are going to be even more affordable but essentially they give you the power of the previous generation's higher model for cheaper and that doesn't mean much to you but the the, the key thing to see is that you can get ray tracing which is the big thing that the previous generation the rtx 20 uh, series the, the big thing was the ray tracing and they give you that without losing fps without losing um uh, uh the, the, the frequency, the, the, well, the FPS, you know what this is. Uh, so it is a big deal. They also have improved uh, DLSS, which allows you to increase the, I'm not going to go into the details, but everything works better. And the cards are pricey, sure, but they are very powerful and everyone wants one at the moment. There's a new announcement by AMD coming down at the end of October. So we'll have to wait and see what, what is announced there to get uh, a, a clearer picture of the gaming landscape, especially on PC. But the, the even more important takeaway from all of this is that between the next generation consoles, which are coming, and this card, these cards, which are coming, ray tracing is finally here. Um, it is... It, it, now it's happening. That's it. All of the games are going to have ray tracing, or not all, but you get my meaning. It is a feature that is worth investing on now. I, I, it was cool with the RTX 20 something, but if, as I've said before, it wasn't really there yet. It was too early. It was a, a early adopters thing that and even, you know, early adopters, you usually can enjoy the thing you're adopting, even in a limited way. Here it was so limited. There was like five games that had uh, ray tracing. It was, in my opinion, a really bad move to buy a 20-something card uh, for ray tracing. It was still a powerful card, but I don't think it was a, a, a good idea. If your goal was to play with ray tracing because you would have very limited opportunities to enjoy it. Now, if you want one, now I would say go for it, go nuts. And I'm not saying you're not enjoying your 2080 Ti, just, you know, Settle down. It's cool. Good on you for buying one. It's just ray tracing wasn't here yet. Not really. And now in the next three to six months, it's here because everyone is using it. So it's worth it. If it's worth it to you, then great. But I think now it's going to be worth it for many, 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 many people. All right. Uh, that's a lot of money to spend uh, on consoles and ray tracing cards, which uh, that's, I'm, I'm waiting a bit on the ray tracing, but I think I'm going to change my PC. Uh, I've mentioned it before, I think. My PC is from six years ago. I have a GTX 970, which has served me very well and the you know corresponding hardware, uh, but I think it's time. So early next year, by the early next year, max, I'm going to get a new con a new pc i think uh all right three smaller things which i wanted to talk about uh there was a nintendo direct where nintendo announced the celebration for the 35th anniversary of mario which honestly all of them are a little bit underwhelming um a 
bundle of the initial 3D Mario games, Super Mario 64, Super Mario Sunshine, and Galaxy, Super Mario Galaxy on Switch, available for only six months, which is obviously a way to artificially get people to buy it. I've resisted buying it until now. I'd maybe I've never played Sun played Sunshine, which I know black eye on my gamer cred. Um, and uh, I want to play Galaxy again. I only played it a little bit, so maybe I'll get them just to have them. But you, it's the six months thing is a bit jerky. Um, and then there's a number of other things. Um, 3D Super Mario 3D World is coming with an expansion called Bowser's Fury. It's coming next year. That game is a, a fantastic. I've been saying it on this show for a long time. It's a Wii U game, which was obviously overlooked because it was just a Wii U game and no one had a Wii U. But it was an amazing Mario game. I'm going to play it again for sure when it comes out. Um, there's a, a game in Watch that is gonna that is gonna be available in a few weeks for, to celebrate that there are like uh, costumes and events in Animal Crossing and Amiibos and uh, uh, Splatoon two events and stuff like that and of course the real life Super Mario Kart Live where you buy a hundred bucks car toy car that you put on the ground and it has a camera and you can play with it in augmented reality on your switch clever idea i don't know how much is really going to be like how usable it's going to be it's mario kart live is the name of the thing um overall i think everyone was a little bit underwhelmed by all of these announcements especially because they didn't do anything to the 3d games it's not a any kind of remastered it's just hd and uh, they they changed the aspect ratio. That's it. So it's, they still look like they looked back then. It's it's definitely disappointing. So um, yeah. All right. Again, more could be said about this, but let's move on to the Oculus Connect, where a number of things were announced. The most interesting one is the Oculus Quest Two, which is a slightly upgraded version of the. Well, that's not just light. It's it's. 50% better resolution, so you have like 2K per eye, uh, 90 hertz refresh rate, uh, and most importantly, it's a little bit lighter, it's a better weight uh, distribution, but most importantly, 300 bucks, 100 bucks cheaper than the first Oculus Quest. And they are doing away with the other Oculus devices, so this one is the only one that's going to be available going forward. That's a big deal. Um, and it's, I think, the easiest and best way to get into VR if that's something that's interesting to you. They announced a number of games, none of them seemed to, none of them really convinced me that any of this is changing things for me for VR. Meaning, I don't think anyone that wasn't uh, interested in VR before would be interested now. This is not enough of a game changer. Um, Ubisoft, there on every platform, announced uh, Splinter Cell and Assassin's Creed in VR, but we haven't even seen what they would be. It was just a title screen, so can't really know what this is going to be. Um, definitely, the Oculus Quest is great, especially, I didn't mention it, but you can uh, link it to your PC to use it as a, a regular Oculus that uses your PC's computing power, so you can have a really convincing experience. That is really cool. Um, but it is not uh, uh, fundamentally different from the first Oculus Quest. So if you weren't convinced by VR initially, I don't think you, you're going to be convinced now. 
we still are, you know, VR is not it's not a complete flop. I think some people like the idea that it's a complete flop. It isn't. It's just it didn't blow up the way some people thought it would. Um, it's still progressing slowly, nicely, but uh, it's not, you know, it's still on that trajectory. That We will need a significant shift for it to change uh, the trajectory and become a more compelling thing. That shift might be PSVR 2, you know, in a, in a few years, or Microsoft getting in the game. But at this point, it's still... Uh, or maybe Facebook is going to do something. But um, yeah, at this point, I don't think it is. And I know there are some VR advocates in the, you know, in the wild that get frustrated when I say things like that. And, you know... Maybe the reality is that uh, people just need to get a headset on their head and all of a sudden they will understand how cool VR really is. <sighs> I think that's wishful thinking. It's just, it's not compelling to many people. And it's great if you love it. If you do, more power to you. I'm very happy for you. But um, yeah, we'll see. I would be very happy to be proven wrong and to see VR explode uh, in popularity over the next year or so. I just don't think it's going to happen. Last story, um, Mike Morheim has announced the creation of a new company to publish video games. There are two aspects to this. First, um, it's full of Blizzard alumni. It's incredible. Like they're all, all of the, the <laughs> almost all of the uh, employees are Blizzard people, it seems. Definitely the, the heads. There are two studios, um, and I'm not going to go over the names, but it's essentially uh, Blizzard people. Uh, they are phrasing it as, we want a place to do what we want as game creators. The subtext, not even that subby <laughs> as a text, being, uh, we couldn't do that at Blizzard under... Activision management. Um, it, like even the name of the company, it's Dreamhaven, a haven for your dreams where they can be safe and develop as the dreams they wanted to be and not twisted by corporate greed. <laughs> you know, this is essentially the communication of all of this. Um, and I think it, it definitely... So the, the two aspects I was talking about. First of all, Morheim, the Morheims, Mike and Amy Morheim, are funding this company entirely. At least at this point, they might take you know investment. They they can get a hit and then you know get investment without relinquishing the majority uh, ownership. Uh, we'll see what happens. But for now, no outside money, which is huge. It's huge, which probably means the games. The first couple of games are going to be relatively small in scope, I think. And small in scope in today's world could be, you know, incredible games. But I think it's more going to be in, in you know, indie type. What is indie? And indie can be really big. But indie type game rather than um, a big AAA blockbuster initially. And then, as I was saying, once they get this out the door, they can get additional funding without relinquishing ownership, because I'm sure Moheim doesn't want to do that again, and then get uh, uh, bigger games going. But initially, I'm pretty sure in a couple of years, we might see a smaller game coming. And even though Moheim, I'm sure, is very rich, 
I'm also sure he doesn't have money to fund two studios for five years without any product coming out. So I'm guessing it's going to be a couple of years before we see a game, but yeah, we'll see. So Morheim, the Morheims funding it is really big. The other thing, of course, is what does it say about Activision and Blizzard under Activision? Well, um, I've often said that, uh, for those who don't know, I worked at Blizzard for five years. It was a while ago, over 10 years ago, when I started. It was 2009. Blizzard had just been acquired by Activision. Um, and so I've often said there are some Blizzard developers that worked at another place than Blizzard before. And they did, they did cool things, but nothing like what they did at Blizzard. And similarly, a lot of Blizzard developers left Blizzard and very few of them did massive things afterwards. So we all wonder what made Blizzard so special. And my, and my impression was that it was Mike Moheim himself that made Blizzard really special. He had, uh, you know, he instilled a company culture and a uh, business culture that led to these beloved hits for many, many years that seemed to be respectful of the gamer and of the product. You know, I, I've often said also at Blizzard, the developers were in charge of everything, everything, like everything went through the dev team, at least when I was there. Everything went through the dev team. The marketing decisions went through the dev team. So, of course, that meant the devs had to be very aware of the financial realities of the game development. Um, it's not like they were dancing around, like, singing Kumbaya and go like, oh, we want to make games and we don't care about anything else. They were very, very aware of the financial aspect. And they were making money. They were there to make the games as good as possible to make money. You know, it's not a, a for a, a, a non-profit organization, but it, it went through the dev teams. And I think that came from Morheim. So I'm really hopeful that Morheim can recreate that kind of magic at Dreamhaven. We'll see. But of course, when he left Activision Blizzard two years ago, the question really was, and I think it was a genuine question. I know some people are going to say, oh, we knew all along Blizzard is crap now that Activision is there. I'll talk about that in a second. But we didn't know if he wasn't just tired and wanted to retire. And that was genuinely we could wonder. Well, I think now the answer is there. He is absolutely still interested in making games. He just didn't want to do it or felt like he, didn't, he couldn't do it the way he wanted at Activision Blizzard. I think this is the answer to that question. So that is very clear to me. At least it's difficult to interpret it in a different way. So we have that answer now. Um, the part about Blizzard, I think, is very polarizing. Because I think if you want to hate on Activision as a corporation, if you feel betrayed by Blizzard with what they've done in the past few years, this kind of justifies it for you. And, you know, good on you, whatever. I think this is a very naive and limited reading of the situation, though. Uh, Blizzard has done some things that were very anti-consumer, quote-unquote, you know, in that, in that very popular category of internet anger, uh, anti-consumer in the past. Under Mike Moheim's purview, um, he is the one that pushed for always online Diablo 3. Of course, 
we all now know that it was probably the right decision, but at the time, people were very angry about it, and it was, quote-unquote, anti-consumer. If you go back now, again, now it's like, oh, it was, it was cool, because he knew before we did, and like, so it wasn't that bad. Back then, it was very, very, very bad. It was bad. Uh, he presided over a series of layoffs that made less noise than the ones from uh, a couple of years ago, um, but were bigger. I was at the company when I think it was 1,200 people that were let go, um, and he was the, the, the CEO there. You know, it's not like, it's not like Blizzard is, I, I'm just trying to say there's nuance there. It's not like Moheim is the one that only did the cool pro-consumer things that you love and Activision is the horrible corporate overlord that is corrupting every game there. I think there is nuance, of course. It seems Moheim doesn't like what's happening at Blizzard, and I'd be very curious to see what happens with the next few games, because all of the anger that we're seeing now is about things that are that have little to no consequences on the development process at Blizzard Entertainment. I think we're still in the dark about the quality of the games that they're making now. Activision bought Blizzard in 2008, I believe. And there, look at all the amazing games that came out in that time. Uh, you know, uh, well, I mean, Diablo 3, you might say, oh, it wasn't... It, Diablo 3 was Blizzard problem. I can guarantee you the mistakes that were made on Diablo 3 were not Activision pushed. I'm 99.9% .9 sure about that. Hearthstone was amazing. Uh... Overwatch, incredible. That's only three, four years ago, Overwatch. Uh, some of the best uh, expansions for World of Warcraft in that time. Also some of the worst, I agree. But, you know, there were some good products. Um, obviously, Warcraft 3 Reforged is a black eye. I, that, I agree. I don't think it's Activision's fault, though. I don't know what happened there, but I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was Activision saying, oh, you have to push it. If you, you have to do it. It's possible. I'm not sure. And, and even if it is, I think it's a little bit less uh, of a big deal than people make it out to be. The expansion, some people are saying the upcoming expansion of Shadowlands is going to be a disaster because it's not ready. You know, they've been pushing extensions every two years. Some of them were not great. Uh, and again, that was under Moheim's purview. The point I'm trying to make is the big games that are coming out we haven't seen them for, like, they haven't had a game since Overwatch 2. Uh, you know, real big game. Since I said Overwatch 2, I meant Overwatch, of course. So we'll have to wait and see what Diablo 4 is like. We'll have to wait and see what Overwatch 2 is like. What the business model is on those. Maybe they're going to switch to season passes and stuff like that. Um, maybe, I don't know. There are a million things that could be. The mobile games. I'm not a big you know, I'm not really interested in mobile games, I think, but I'm curious to see Diablo Immortal. I'm curious to see what other games they're going to make. Maybe they're going to be cool. Maybe they're going to be crap. Maybe they're going to be corporate stuff that Activision is pushing. It's possible. But we haven't seen that yet. And I still think that, that Blizzard does have 
the potential to make great games. Um, it is undeniable, though, that there has been an exodus off of Blizzard. Uh, the last few names that come to my mind when I think about who is still there um, of the, 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 the heads of studios, it's, of course, Jeff Kaplan, Tom Chilton, uh, and Corey Stockton. And I, I, it's difficult for me to find other names that I know. Everyone has gone. So it's, you know, it's possible. Of course, Ben Brode went to found Second Dinner. Uh, Rob Pardo went to found uh, Bonfire. Both of them had a bunch of Blizzard employees with them. Um, and, and by the way, Pardo, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it, that's the understanding. I think he was sacked for the failure of Titan, which maybe... Mike didn't like that. Maybe Borheim was like, well, it's just a game that didn't work out. We tried really hard and we should have kept Pardo. It's possible. I think Pardo staked his, staked his, uh, his job on being able to make the game, make something out of the game after it had been in development for a long time. I think that's what happened. But who knows? Maybe we'll have a tell-all at some point uh, and we'll know all of those details. I'm, I'm rambling a little bit. What I'm trying to say is we don't yet know what Blizzard is without all of these people. It's entirely... And, and you know, there are... Wyatt Chang is still there. Uh, there, there, there are a number of people uh, that are still very capable at Blizzard. Maybe it's a more difficult environment to uh, navigate with Activision taking more of a hands-on approach. Uh, I don't know. I mean, again, Diablo Immortal, Wyatt Chang, Matthew Berger, a number of other people that are that have done really good work on Diablo 3. Um, we'll have to wait and see. I, I don't know. I, I will be the first person to denounce Blizzard and Activision's influence if the games that come out in the next few years, hopefully at some point, um, are not up to par. I think it's premature to do that now, and it's motivated by, by ill-placed anger that is not rational and analytical yet. Maybe in a year. Oh, and by the way, we're going to have a BlizzCon online. Oh, sorry. Dumbest name in history. BlizzCon Line. Uh, in January, so we'll know more then, January or February. Um, yeah, but actually, I take back everything I said. BlizzCon Line, really? Just call it BlizzCon Online. You you don't have not everything has to be clever, okay? Just call it BlizzCon Online. It's fine. But uh, okay, <laughs> I that's it. BlizzCon Blizzard is done. I'm done with it. Activision has eaten its soul. I'm so angry. Just don't call it Blisk Online. It's silly. Uh, by the way, Call of Duty looks really good, and that's an Activision game. And uh, uh, Tony Hawk 1 and 2 Remake looks really good, and everyone loves it, and that's an Activision game. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying Activision is such a dark heart that they can't make anything good, or I'm not saying that that's what those people, uh, people are saying. I, I, I understand the resentment towards Activision. Um, it's just a little bit more nuanced. And so we'll have to wait and see what happens with Dreamhaven. Uh, very hopeful there. And we'll have to wait and see what happens with Blizzard. Um, I still have 
you know, I, I, I don't know that they can't make good things still. We'll see. All right, that was a, a full uh, 80 minutes. I hope you had fun. I hope you learned some things or at least uh, got a few thoughts that were interesting out of the, all of this uh, conversation. I certainly had a good time. It's really cool to uh, take a little bit of time at the end of the month and go over everything that's happened. And uh, boy, again, what a month. <laughs> that's like September. It's not March madness. It's September madness. Um, and I'm guessing that the next few months are going to be crazy as well. Maybe not as crazy, but uh, we'll, we'll have to discuss that in the next episodes. I'm Patrick Beja. I am not Patrick on Twitter and all of your social platforms of choice. Uh, if you have anything to add to what I said, if you have anything that uh, you thought I got wrong or got right and you want to let me know how cool I am, please feel free to do so. Again, I'm not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also leave a comment on um, the, the uh, frenchspin.com blog for this episode, and I will talk to you in a month. Love you all. Talk to you then. Bye.